Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast presented to you by Texas Pete. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, great, great pod coming. Great pod coming. Uh, Matt Hayes is going to join us to talk about a bunch of things. We've got Jersey Contest, Lad of the Week. Spartanburg, I'm seeing the jersey that you're rocking yeah. right now. Yeah. If you don't know what this is yet, I will, I'll tell you later. I have no idea what this is, but I cannot wait to find out. That is, that's a yep. tease for the people. Um, it's an go- all-time high school jersey. This is one of the most famous high school jerseys of all time. You already busted out the Joe Burrow, Athens, Ohio jersey. So this yep. one. It's way more famous than that one. There's your hint. Okay. All right. I- I'm going to be thinking of this there the entire pod uh, before we eventually get to the jersey contest. But first, Will, Mark Stoops at Kentucky is in its final stage. I have not said that out loud before until right just now. But let let me say it again just to see if this thought sounds dumb when I actually put it into the universe and I have to say these things. Because sometimes we have these thoughts that are in our brain and then the words slip out of our mouths. And then by the time that we can actually hold these words back, they already sound stupid and they're just out there in the universe. Let's just try this out again. Mark Stoops at Kentucky is in its final stage before I think, I think we're good. I think we're good. I felt okay about that. I didn't want to immediately take it back. No, no mm-hmm. instant regret, at least not yet, but kind of cathartic. Me- it was like, okay, like we've been kind of circling this one for a minute. Okay. Yeah. We've been circling around this a little bit, but not quite saying these words uh, directly, but let's, let's say I'm here today before you tell me that I am absolutely crazy. Here's what I mean by that. I am not saying that Kentucky AD Mitch Barnhart is going to fire someone like Stoops, who, by the way, in case you forgot, he has already passed Bear Bryant to become the all-time Kentucky leader in wins. He is more likely Mm -hmm. to get a statue built of him than he is to get fired, in my opinion. And honestly, I'm not even saying with certainty that there's another job that Stoops is about to leave for, but there are a couple that I could see happening. I'll get to those in a bit. Why Why am I saying this now? about the longest tenured coach in the SEC. The only current SEC coach who can raise his hand when asked the question, hey, did you coach your team in the BCS era? Mark Stoops, that's it. He's one of one, that's it in the SEC. It's not just Liam Cohen reportedly leaving for the NFL, though that's definitely part of it. And I think if you peel back some of the layers of that, you can understand why this feels like a significant point for Mark Stoops' tenure in Lexington. In case you missed it, my doppelganger has reportedly gone back to the NFL. Tampa, uh, he's going to be the Tampa OC. A year after he was on this show talking about how badly he missed college football. Um, in basically what was a lost season with the Rams as their OC post-Super Bowl. It turns out the idea of a potential Baker Mayfield reunion was something that he wanted to pursue. And that sounds like sour grapes from my end because to a certain extent it is, I, I admit I like Liam a lot. I rooted for his success, not just because he looked like me, but I thought he was super gracious with his time. I mean, when we had him on last year, he was in his car in LA. He was a day away from making me cross-country move back to Lexington. You could just very easily say, no, I'll do this podcast another time. I'll do this podcast when I get to Lexington or any other time. And he's like, nope, let's do it. Let's make it happen. And and it was and it was easy. We talked for 40 minutes most of yeah, he was cool record. too. It wasn't like okay, fine. Like we joked about, like here, dang. It's like no, he was really. It felt like having a good time, you know. I've had people on before, not in recent memory, where I have felt like they are just 
itching to be able to go. And whether they had other things to do over the course of the day, everybody's got stuff going on. But he was a person that clearly could have been doing a bunch of other things. And he's like, no, let's 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 make this happen. Let's make this work. And we were able to do that. And at the time of that interview a year ago, he sounded pretty turned off by the NFL experience. And he talks about how he didn't feel like he could really help someone like Matt Stafford and him being the son of a couple of teachers. He wanted to be a teacher and he wanted that to be part of his job description. This wasn't necessarily someone who looked at the nature of the sport and said, nah, I don't need this. We talked about that last week. It was the opposite. At least that's the way that it sounded a year ago. So obviously we know what happens. He comes back to Kentucky on a salary that starts at $1.8 million annually with a $100,000 escalator each year of that three-year contract. Kentucky hoped and thought that he would be there at least for multiple years, maybe not for all three, but at least for two years because he was going back and forth and he was essentially a snip, snap, snip, snap deal with Lexington and LA, the first person in human history to keep going back and forth between those two places. And he had all this talk about wanting to establish some roots. So Kentucky's like, all right, the timing is right. He's going to come back here. He's going to be here for multiple years and we're going to be able to make this work. I'll admit I don't think this year went the way that Kentucky fans hoped. Will, would you say that's a fair estimation? Yeah, that 100%. It was a team that felt like it had higher goals and aspirations. It felt like things were starting to all come together, and it turned out to be a pretty middle-of-the-pack Mark Stoops Kentucky team. It, it's, I think it's boringness. I mean, boring is weird because it was kind of frustrating. It wasn't like it was mundane, but it's like it was it was disappointing in how predictable it was. There we go. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, part of that was, I think, on Devin Leary, if we're being 100% honest, like he was not the all SEC type player that I thought he could be. And part of that was just on a team that lacked an offensive identity, really struggled with consistency on both sides of the ball. I mean, we'll get to some of the defensive numbers later, but they weren't particularly good. It was still a massive improvement from Rich Scangarello, and the numbers really bear that out. Nine points per game better overall, 12 points per game better against AP top 25 finishers than they were a year prior, and also a yard per play better, 1.5 more 20-yard plays per game better. It was a better offense than what it was with Rich Gangarello. They still left points on the field. For those saying, though, like, hey, why is this guy so valued? I would point to stuff like that, and because we know what happened in 2021 where – Liam leads Kentucky to its best offense in 14 years, even though it was a total schematic overhaul. And it wasn't really a year zero that many, myself included, thought it would be transitioning to a more pro-style offense. The last few weeks, Liam Cohen was an OC at a variety of places, including my Chicago Bears, which, if we're being 100% honest, I feared for, for Liam. As my guy Nick Roush over at KSR said about that OC job with the Bears, it is the defense of the dark arts job of the NFL. Okay. You're going to die after a year. That is. I will never forget that. I love that so much. Oh man. I told Nick afterwards. I'm like, how did I not come up with that? You are a genius, sir. What became clear was that Liam Cohen wanted another shot in the NFL or NFL light, a place like Ohio state, which is essentially operating like an NFL team with cap space galore. That's how they've treated the last month. Here's a question to keep asking myself. How much of Cohen's desire to leave began back in late November 
when it appeared that Mark Stoops, for a few hours, was heading to A&M. As much as we want to talk about and debate, really, Liam Cohen's lack of loyalty to Kentucky and how someone who said that he wanted to establish roots did the opposite of that again, let's take a step back and look at Stoops. I can guarantee that when Mark Stoops brought Liam Cohen back to Lexington after that lost 2022 season that he had in L.A. as Sean McVay's O.C., I can guarantee you that at no point in those conversations that Stoops and Cohen had did Stoops say, yeah, you know what? If the A&M job or any other job that I like opens up, I'm bolting. That didn't come up. No way. Mm -hmm. If anything, Stoops was probably like, no, nah, I'm here for the long haul. This happened you know, the last couple of years. And, and, you know, I was a candidate here, candidate there, but whatever, I'm in this. My belief is that Liam Cohen came back to Lexington under the impression that Mark Stoops planned on retiring at Kentucky. And the second that he found out that he wasn't, it changed not how Liam Cohen felt about Lexington and Kentucky as a whole, but how he felt about Stoops. And that is mm. significant. We weren't hearing Liam Cohen being rumored for assistant jobs before Stoops to A&M was happening. Now, I realize some of that is because, look, if we're really going back to when the regular season of college football ended at that point, I'm talking about Brian Johnson being an NFL head coach. And instead, mm -hmm. he ends up being a coordinator who gets fired. Like, that's how quickly things change in the NFL. So I'm understanding the timeline of that. And it's a little bit different. You're not hearing a guy like that linked to these potential openings. But we weren't hearing about this rush of, oh, man, like Liam's going to leave for Ohio State or he's going to leave for this job or that job, even in college. And we weren't even necessarily hearing at the time that he would be some sort of package deal with Stoops at A&M because I don't know that Liam Cohen wanted to go to A&M, even if that were on the table, nor do I know that A&M wanted him. I don't know if they even got to those conversations with Stoops or if they did, maybe those A&M decision makers, maybe they said that they wanted a coordinator who would run an up-tempo offense, which Cohen did not do that at Kentucky. And some pointed to that <laughs> as a reason why Devin Leary struggled so much in that transition away from NC State's offense to what Kentucky ultimately wanted to run last year. So how does that relate to Stoops? Stoops was looking out for number one. That's what most coaches do. Um, I think at this point of the juncture where we're at in college football, that's okay. That's not really breaking any news on the heels of a second consecutive disappointing season. Clearly Mark Stoops was willing to bowl. Maybe a little bit, well, not entirely, but a little bit of some of that John Curry, Mike Leach post 2017 vibe, maybe a little bit of that, right? How long did Leach stick around Washington State after that whole thing happened where John Curry offers him a Tennessee job that he doesn't have the authority to offer? How many seasons did Mike Leach give Washington State after that happened? Two. Two. That's yep. it. Just two. That's it. I will say in the next year or two, the Mark Stoops era at Kentucky will end. That's what I believe. I think that there is frustration from Stoops, not with his contract. His contract is great. Paid him the eighth richest deal in the sport in 2023. And while it's easy for us on the outside to just look at that and say, why would he ever give this gig up? 
That is great work to be able to get nine million bucks to win seven games. Why in God's name would you give up that job? And there is a case to be made that there are not a whole lot of jobs on planet Earth that are better than what Mark Stoops gets to be able to do. But here's the thing. He's been there for 11 years. He's about to enter his 12th season, which is the exact amount of time that Spurrier was at Florida. Even at his alma mater, Spurrier's alma mater, a place that he loved, Spurrier, by the end of it, he had enough with the pressure, the fan, expect the fan expectations, the grind, all of it. Sometimes things run their course. It doesn't make it a failure, okay? But I wonder if there is a part of Stoops that has realized a couple of these things. Remember when that caller for his radio show outlined how he had only beaten two SEC teams that finished with a winning conference record? We brought it up with our SEC coach ranking by hater facts. We brought that mm -hmm. up. Um, Big year for callers. Huge year. Tyler from Spartanburg? Is that a Tyler from Spartanburg jersey, Will? No? Maybe? <laughs> but there, there you go. Actually, same one. Okay. Hit number two. Interesting. Interesting. All right. We're, we're, I'm, I told you I was going to get to this by, by the end of the show. I'm going to be able to come up with this. Um, by the way, shout out to Jack Pilgrim at KSR for actually going back and doing those numbers to, to say like, oh, yeah, that, that was right. The caller was right. Stoops balked at that and told the caller, I don't think your information is right. No, no, no. Th this guy was right. It's almost like, wait, I'm the school's all-time winningest coach. I took us from the bowels of this conference and got us to a place we feel like we should be a yearly top 25 team. And if we don't finish in that place, it's a disappointment. And I have only done what? What? <laughs> That's got to be tough. And yeah, he's had a ton of success outside of the conference. And I think some of his wins against Louisville most recently, the one that he had to end this regular season. Yeah. That's resume type stuff. It is. It absolutely mm -hmm. is. It's also got to be tough thinking about all the good that he's done and how it could translate to this new 12 team playoff era or how it wouldn't translate. Rather. I always bring up how Kentucky has two winning records in SEC play since the Jimmy Carter administration, which happened in 2018 <sighs> and 2021. Stoops, of course, he owns both of those those records. But Stoops wouldn't have qualified for a 12-team playoff in either one of those seasons. Would have actually been huh. – Yeah, think about that. Would have been eliminated in early November in both of those seasons, neither of which ended up earning the Cats a New Year's Six Bowl. You go, obviously, to the Citrus Bowl in both of those years. We talked at length about those pony-up comments post-Georgia, right? That seems like, to me, a coach who was being about as blunt as you can possibly be. Like a coach that was no longer worried about schmoozing boosters and just being like, hey, let's just put it all out there. Whatever. This is what it's going to take. If you don't like it, sorry, that's just the game. That seems like a coach who was saying, look, I'm past the point of caring about how I'm going to be perceived for comments like that. I don't care if I'm being politically correct. I don't care... I'm not going to hold this back. That's not what I'm here to do. I will never forget being on a date with my high school girlfriend back in the day. And mm -hmm. we're, we're at like a local diner. And this older man is walking by our table. And he lets go of a pretty significant fart. Pretty significant. And okay. he wasn't embarrassed. He didn't turn around and say, excuse me. He just kept it moving. Just kept it moving. 
That man gave up caring about farting in public a long time ago, Will. Long time ago. Stoops gave up caring about ruffling feathers at Kentucky a long time ago. I'm not saying he's farting in the direction of a couple of 17-year-olds while they're trying to fill up on complimentary bread at a local diner. That's James Franklin, by the way, just farting on national television. <laughs> just no shame. I think James Franklin's got a little more schmooze to his game, but, you know, maybe he lets, lets a couple loose, doesn't really care about it. But his comments... And everything we've heard from Stoops over the course of the last year plus, and really his actions, suggests that he is in the home stretch at Kentucky. Something else that's worth noting. The only staff change that Stoops willingly made this offseason was not renewing the contract of wide receivers coach Scott Woodward. That's it. This season was a major disappointment. It was. If you had told Kentucky fans hey, your win total is not going to improve at all in 2023. If you had told them that at this time last year, they would have been like, what? We're the most likely candidate in the SEC to, to improve, to progress this season after it just felt like 2022 came up so unbelievably short pre-draft Will Levis and with a defense that was supposed to be really, really good and ended up being pretty good. But still, to think that that team still did not take another step is really disappointing. So I think we can say that. So we know that, and we know that there was also no shuffling of the defensive staff, even though it was basically the worst defense they've had since 2017. I mean, and you can look at some of the COVID numbers during the 2020 season and say, oh, yeah, but they're dealing with depth issues and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't really know that that's totally fair. But it was definitely the worst. That season is not real. We keep saying it. Yeah, there are certain things that are real and certain things that I'm like, yeah, I'm not really going to dig too much into that. That's mm -hmm. not a guy that's fighting for his job to have those lack of moves, nor is it a guy who still believes he's a move here or a move there from taking the next step. Stoops is in a unique position because he's done great things like have success against Florida. He's won three in a row against the Gators. He's won four of the last six, which we know is significant because obviously it was preceded by a 31 year losing streak against Florida. These things still matter. They still make you have a better approval rating than you could when you're at a place like Kentucky. But no longer does beating Florida feel the way that it did in 2018 or even 2022 when Kentucky went into the swamp, stymied Anthony Richardson, Will Levis is blowing all of them kisses. It felt different. Okay, A lot of that is because Florida is at a different place. We know that. That's well documented. But it's also because it's no longer just this major hurdle standing in Kentucky's way. And Kentucky is right. no longer just this bad luck team where, oh, man, things are just not going to go our way down the stretch. They're going to pull the football away from us. We're going to be Charlie Brown and we're going to go flying into the air. Kentucky's gotten past that. And that's a good thing. They've been able to sit there and actually kick a football. I mean, not particularly well in some of these seasons. Like they've had some special teams issues, but still. But so they much. were like covering people in the end zone and such. Like there were things like yeah. football was being played at a high level. <laughs> Not leaving a Florida receiver open two different times. Th these are these are progressive things. These that's are, improvement. Yeah. And, and Stoop deserves credit for that. And that's part of his Kentucky legacy. So I'm not trying to take away from any of that. And I'm not trying to scoff at, at, at beating Florida because – if you watched that game last year, it's something that we talked about after the fact when Ray Davis runs wild, you saw a fan base that was plenty fired up that it didn't feel mm -hmm. fluky at all. And it was more a reflection of Florida being like, holy crap, 
how is Florida at this place right now where they're just getting bodied by Kentucky and it's not even up for some sort of last second, you know, shenanigans or anything like that. But it's no longer this monumental thing that Mark Stoops and his staff is working toward. Georgia. Yep. And, and I will say on that tip, like I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, disrespectful or anything, but I think that there are very, it's Georgia is obviously where they're at. Right. But outside of that, there really isn't that like a uh, hurdle program anymore. Like it's like, I mean, maybe, maybe, and this is not me being a fan. It's just facts. Maybe Florida beating LSU because they like the six game losing streak, but like the way that things used to be where there were these long winning streaks, it was like, you'll never get past these teams. It feels like some of those brands have kind of gone just downhill a little bit. Um, even, even like an Alabama, right? Not not slandering, but not having Nick Saban. Like if Lane Kevin beats them next year, no one's going to be like, oh my gosh, he's broken the curse. You know what I'm saying? So that stuff does tend to hold less and less weight when you look at a Florida because it's like, yeah, Tennessee got over the hump. LSU got over the hump. FSU got over the hump. Georgia, like everyone started kind of reversing that record. So it was very impressive when it happened, but just beating that team won't do it for you anymore if you're Mark Stoops. And I think it helps too that at the time of those matchups, I want to say Florida was ranked in three of at least three of those four victories where Kentucky beat Florida during this, you know, four of the last yep. six. So, so that that's part of it too. It's not like some late season thing where Florida's got an interim coach that they're rolling out there. Like the timing right. of this has has certainly helped and it's made those victories feel really good. But it is no longer. Oh yeah, and not to early. discount that, I'm just saying going forward, it's not like yes. you're beating Urban Meyer every year. Like that won't that by itself won't ingratiate you with the fans if you could just keep beating Florida. And if next. On that list is beating Kirby. Like, good luck, man. That's good luck. That's not. The <laughs> it's, it's just not. Yeah. I don't know that all the ponying up in the world is going to make the difference there, or if it's even going to make the difference against those SEC elites. Because again, we've got eleven years of data that show us that Kentucky is not standing in anyone's path, in the way of anyone's path, rather, to an SEC title. That's what we know. And that is a very tough pill to swallow when you look at all the progress that has been made. And again, we're not trying to diminish that. That sounds harsh, but it is reality. So I wonder, the Stoops have perhaps a third consecutive underwhelming season. We can decide what that is. Maybe that's just going seven and five again. Maybe it's going six and six. Whatever you, whatever your definition of underwhelming for Kentucky is, let's say that Stoops is right in that meaty curve of underwhelming. And maybe he considers one of these four options. These are the four options that would be on the table if that indeed happened. One is obviously retire. He can do that, and we will remember what he did at Kentucky, not what he didn't do. He will forever be a legend. Maybe a statue is on the way. He's never paying for a drink in Lexington again. And at 57 years old, he will fade off into the sunset, just like his brother Bob did at age 56, interestingly enough. That's that's something hmm. where I, I feel like I don't I didn't fully connect that. I always think of Bob as so much older than Mark, but it's really not yeah. that big of a gap um, to, to think about where they could be. And again, we're talking about where he would be making that decision. He's, he's currently 56, same age, but it would be retiring at 57. That's option one. Option two, stay at Kentucky, right? Do what I'm saying he won't do. But again, this is just talking about after the 2024 season. If you stay at Kentucky, you continue to fight the same fight over and over. And the same hurdles are likely standing in your way, barring some sort of 7-5 and five season in which you beat two of those teams that we're talking about in a different world than where you're at. Anything less than your best season ever at Kentucky 
And you're going to have that same frustration about the talent level. You'll continue to ask for more money. You'll continue to feel like you have to hit home runs in the transfer portal. Otherwise, you don't have a prayer. Granted, you will be paid handsomely. That we know. That's not going anywhere barring some sort of unforeseen event and some sort of rift, obviously, with Mitch Barnhart and with Mark Stoops. The longer you stay at Kentucky, though, the less likely you will to have the freedom to pursue another job. It just doesn't happen a whole lot with these guys that are there for that long and are that entrenched with somebody's identity to start over again somewhere else that is at least at that level. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not one of those things where... Picture like Frank Beamer being like, oh, yeah, I've been at Virginia Tech for 25, 30 years. Let me just go take this job over at Clemson instead of Dabo Sweeney. Like that would have been like, wait, what? Like you're, you're going to hire yeah. Frank Beamer? And maybe that's why that some of this AM stuff was so weird because of how entrenched Stoops is with Kentucky and how we have now gotten to the place where we can both respect what we do and have a hard time picturing him anywhere else, even though 11 years isn't that long in the grand scheme of things but to us oh it's after those numbers you gave me last podcast brother i've just been sitting around randomly getting hit by that like there was like seven dudes who are still around from 2019 what like yeah that's pretty i mean yeah think about it it's like it was sabin like when we started working at sds together it was like sabin right uh stoops Right. Spurrier, technically, and, at that point in 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying guys that have kind of been with us the whole time, right? Saban, Stoops, Kirby, technically, he got in right after we started. And, yeah, you, like, look around, and it's like, other than that, I'm sure there's some massive guy I'm forgetting, but it's like, you know, you look around after that, and it's like, oh, my gosh, like, all these guys are gone. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wild to think that, like, Kirby is just, like, one little, you know, bad year away from just being Saban, where he's, like, the – longest tenured guy in the SEC forever. Yeah, it's not crazy to think that there is a world in which we're talking on this podcast next year and Kirby Smart is the elder statesman of the SEC. Like that is yeah. that is in play. So that's option two. Option three, try and hire your hopeful replacement. We're not talking about really for this cycle. We're still waiting to see what this OC replacement is going to look like. But If your goal next year is to try and feel like you're at a place where you can truly walk off, then you would ideally like to have some sort of idea what your replacement is going to look like, some sort of transition plan. It's kind of understood within the building. This is the last hurrah. This is the last dance. 2025 is going to be my last season, and this guy is going to be able to do this. We're going to be able to not skip a beat from a recruiting standpoint, and you're going to be able to kind of take a page out of the Michigan playbook. I'm not saying Jim Harbaugh and Mark Stoops are exactly the same, but that would be an ideal scenario. Bob Stoops had Lincoln Riley to be able to pass the torch to. Obviously, at Ohio State, Urban Meyer had Ryan Day. And if you have that, great, but that is still an option that could make Stoops feel like, okay, I feel better and it's not going to feel quite as sudden and it doesn't. Well, yeah, but okay. So that, that's a great point, but that guy would have had to be, you know, in the building, right? Like you look at Jimbo at FSU, like these guys are there for a long time. We have three, four five years, which is an eternity now. So it's like, you need to go hire that guy. If you want to, you need to start the retirement process because what you can't do is have a guy be like, Hey guys, this is your OC. All right. I'm out of here. This is your coach now. Like that's, that's completely different. And Harbaugh's situation is a little bit different because they got coach games. You know what I'm saying? It was like, okay, we know what this guy can do. Uh, Yeah. So I am aligned that it would make a ton of sense to just go out there and take a big home run swing on some like young hotshot OC who has like aspirations and be like, Hey, we couldn't get you usually, but I'm just gonna let you know this. Yes. I'm out of here. 
So maybe sit around for like two years, get comfy. We're going to, we're going to put you in like a leadership training program to where it's just going to be seamless and you can fire all my guys. I don't care. Just don't leave, please. And, please. and you're all in and, and you're basically saying, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm all in. And it doesn't have to be like the, you know, Kentucky fans know this because they know of the, the Joker Phillips situation where he was a true coach in waiting with Rich Brooks being willing to do that at that stage of his career. It doesn't, it doesn't have to feel just like that. I'm not really sure that Photoshop exists. legend Joker Phillips is was he really? I don't remember that. Oh, before dude, my time. look up Joker Phillips Photoshop after you get off of this. He used to like you could tell he did this stuff personally. He would like cut guys out and like put them on the moon and have like it was bro. It was like if your dad or like like one of your uncles learned Photoshop. It was so rad. Is the Photoshop is my passion meme based on Joker Phillips? Yes. Okay. Dude, it was graphic design is my passion. You got to oh, go yeah. look it up, bro. It was so funny. He did it at Florida too. Anyway. Oh God! What a what a contrib what a contri contribution to society that was. Thank you for that, Joker Phillips. Uh, but like, does that really exist right now with with Kentucky? No, um, at least not in its current state. Uh, you would have to really kind of swing for the fences because the coach in waiting is not currently at Kentucky, or at least the one that that has been talked about. John Summerall just got the Tulane job. He was considered to be the likely replacement for Stoops if the A and M thing had gone through. But I don't know if there's a hire that Stoops could make that would feel like, okay, he's got a year left and it's going to be this guy's program. I wondered if Liam could be that, but now we know that's definitely not going to be the case. Like I, I don't, I don't think that that's that's going to become uh, a possibility or that like they would really go down that road again, especially if it's like, all right, this guy wants to be an NFL head coach. His move suggests that that is certainly a, a, a desire. So that's option. Three, probably the least likely of these options. And then the last one, you test the waters one more time. You test the waters one more time because maybe there are a couple power five jobs that could open that could make sense for Stoops. In my opinion, it's, it's two, at least that are on my radar right now. Florida is one of them, just as it kind of we're thinking about that a few years ago when they ultimately hired Napier. And I mean, hey, they hired Dan Mullen. Let's not forget that. They wanted stability. They oh, wanted... I will. <laughs> Who could? Um, Don't you worry. <laughs> but yeah, like a place where, look, you're you're still trying to have only what? I mean, they ha they've had since Urban, they have had Muschamp four years. They had McIlwain two and a half years. I guess three years will round up. Mullen was four years. And if Napier is three years, you're just trying to have a coach stay till year five for the first time since urban was there. And that's so much easier said than done, but Snoops would at least make you feel if you're an AD, like you could make that happen. But I don't know, like would Stoops at Florida be received the same way that he was at AM? Any AD would have to ask that question because if the answer is yes, then you risk having egg on your face and you look incompetent. And that's not exactly a good week of PR for you. You can get around these things. But still, there's there are some factors to consider. I can guarantee you, guarantee you, that Stoops at Iowa would have a much different feel, and we probably wouldn't be asking those same questions. That's been speculated. He's so tailor made for that job. That would yeah. be so fire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he went to Iowa, he played at Iowa. Like he, Iowa loves stability. Stoops has been stability. He has been that. If Kirk Ferentz yeah. coaches in 2025. He will be 70 years old for that 2025 season. 
I can't listen, imagine. buddy. We may play a wide receiver at quarterback, but we won't hire my son, and that's my promise I have to you. You could actually not, even if everybody gets hurt, you will be better than Brian Ferry. <laughs> they they finally ended the OC search with the former Western Michigan coach Tim Lester, and I kept thinking to myself, I wonder if if Kirk would go into the office every day and and just say to his bosses, like, "Gosh, there's just really nobody out there." I, what if we just brought Brian in for an interview? What if we just just try him out? Just, just see what he's got. You he know, already has his email and everything. His logins are going to be the same. Like, he could be an analyst, right? Like, yeah, like, whatever. Let's just, let's just see how it would go. Uh, no, it would be a weird transition because there are a lot of Iowa fans who know nothing but Kirk Ferentz, and understandably so. Mm-hmm. And the guy is the longest-tenured coach currently at the FBS level. Maybe if you're Stoops, though, you're thinking of this like, hey – I can get out of the SEC. I can go to a place that embraces my smash mouth style. I can have a different path to the playoff at a program that has had a higher year to year floor than Kentucky. Now, obviously the lone new year six bowl that they went to during the playoff era was the Rose bowl, which Christian McCaffrey ran for roughly 5,000 yards that day. And it was just a beat down of epic proportions, but still you'd feel like, all right, we at least have a chance to have a chance more so than you have year to year at Kentucky. And so maybe that's the mindset. I don't know. I don't know how much he really values his alma mater. We don't really know because that job hasn't come open. And that's the difficult thing mm-hmm. to be able to judge or what they would look for, all those different things. All those things are on the table. They're, they're all on the table. And so is the other thing. Stoops having a great season, putting Kentucky in the 12-team playoff hunts and looking like someone that has navigated all this. And he doesn't seem fatigued. But for the first time, Will... I get the sense that his days in Lexington are nearing their conclusion, and it'll be a matter of time before he signs signs off on what his next chapter is going to be. Yeah, I think, you know, what if they just went to Iowa and, like, he, he got Brett Bielema with him and they just did, like, what LSU is doing in Louisiana, where it's like, we love Iowa. Let's just get all the Iowans in here. Let's get all the offensive linemen. Let's so, just, so we are saying, all we need. You're saying, what if Brett Bielema – the, the power of five head coaching job that he worked so hard to be able to get back. What if he says, nah, fam, I've got an Iowa tattoo. I would love to go back to Iowa city. I'll be an assistant. I don't care. I love that job. Yeah, so he's much. 18 and 19. He could get fired next year and they could just do a little, you know, we love Iowa. They get Proctor up in there, Mr. Iowa. You know what I'm saying? Just thinking it out. <laughs> sure. Let's anyway, tackle. you got, you got to figure it out, man. You're good. Man, those poor guys, they don't know how to tamper. They're already in trouble. Anyway, so point being, um, there's a couple of things to this. I didn't want to sidetrack you, so, I, I, you know, but number one, um, you know, I, I'm 100% with you in terms of the, you know, kind of the way the sound bites are going. Uh, well, you can never be 100 on something like that because that's somebody's mental, right? So let's say I'm 80, right? And so the sound bites, you know, what he's saying in terms of like, uh, just reading, reading between the lines. And, and to your point, I do think that that's, could be a good uh, deduction from, you know, the Cohen thing where this guy has hitched his wagon to you a couple of times, you know, you've, you've promised him stuff. And then suddenly you've kind of broken from the identity that you talked about. And the whole identity was, um, you know, everything he has built as far as family, trust in his guys. Like one thing you can't say about Stoops is that he really gives up on guys, right? Like he'll give you a bunch of chances. He'll develop you. He'll do all that. And so you're right. That can fly in your face if you're a young, you know, hotshot OC. Um, 
the part of this that's interesting to me, there's a couple of first and, and, and to that point, you know, what that as you said this with his quotes, it made me think about the quote that Saban gave and I retweeted it when Saban was at LSU and he was talking about, yo, we need to fix the PMAC. We need to build a new uh, uh, softball stadium. We need to build a new player. Like he was saying to reporters off the record, basically, like, I'm going to leave unless you guys do X, Y and Z. And he was mad. And it was like he did it for a reason. And lo and behold, it was at exactly this point in his career. Right. It was he had like, I think, two years left. And he ended up going to the NFL because he was at that point trying to lead it to the media and kind of, you know, don't be surprised. I'm not really happy right now. If you guys don't fix this laundry list of stuff, I'm up out of here. And now looking back at that, it's like, yeah, I mean, LSU probably, I'm not going to say they could have kept him, but they could have done a lot more to make him happy given what he was telling the media. And when people really listened to what he was saying, what he was saying, it wasn't the story that we were always told is that Saban left in the, in the dead of night. In reality, when you start to put these quotes up together, it's like, I'm kind of did all I could here. And maybe that's how Mark Stoops feels. Uh, there are a couple of actual human beings who are interesting in this. Uh, number one is Vandergriff. Um, I think that's a guy that, um, you know, this whole thing is about motion, right? It's about having, you know, the juice, having the sauce, having the riz, right? And Stoops, historically, has not had a ton of that as far as getting, you know, he's had a couple of transfers here and there, right? But it has never felt like this cool, sexy place to play. And part of that is because that flies in the face of his identity, right? His identity is hardworking, blue-collar, smash-mouth football. Well, in the new age of recruiting, guys want to be pampered a little bit. They don't want to go work in the coal mines. You know, they don't want to go into steel factories and pour pig iron in Youngstown. Like, they want to be pampered. And so I think getting Vandergriff was a really big deal for him in terms of his future because – and not even just saying, you know, if they can win 10 games again and they can have this high-flying offense and they have this five-star quarterback, then someone might go, well, see, this is what happens when he has a five-star quarterback. Um, so I think that this is definitely a big make-it-or-break-it year. But to our last point in the last episode, uh, which is really, you know, just an interesting look at the whole thing, if you guys want to go check that out. But, you know, is he quiet quitting? <laughs> I... I don't think he's quiet quitting because I, I don't think he's wired that way. I think it's right. fair to say that. I think there's a different way to go about it. I, I don't think he's stubborn to the point of, of of just saying, screw it, I'm I'm over it. I don't think that's the case. I think he shows up to work every day with purpose. And everything that I've heard is that he is still invested and he still believes that he can build, continue to build and and navigate this NIL space. And he's trying to do whatever he can to be able to make that happen. There's still a dose of reality that hits. It hits. And it's yeah. one that we have praised. I think we have praised Kentucky fans for, at least I have, or why I've had a soft spot for them, is because I think that there are certain programs who don't have enough self-awareness. I think Kentucky fans have had great self-awareness. Now, the ones that, that call them mediocre Mark and are like, this guy isn't even like, you know, one of the 10 best coaches in the SEC. I'm like, all right, let's, let's push back on that. Let's if you're a Kentucky it. fan, you got to be 22 years old. If you're saying that. Yeah. And there's, there's, you don't remember Joker Phillips. Yeah. There, there's some of that. Sure. I mean, every fan base has, has some of that, but I think that there's still this, this frustration, this, this, this feeling of like, man, I've done all that I possibly can. And I talked before about trying to fight for that indoor facility that took forever to be able to get yep. trying to not have your high profile basketball coach indirectly throw your program under the bus. These are things that he feels like he should be passed. And when you've worked yep. the hours, I'm sure that he has to be able to build this thing up. He, he is probably feeling, and I don't want to infer too much here, but we're, we're connecting some dots. I'm admitting that we're doing that, but it feels like a coach that's exhausted. 
it feels like a coach that is that has reached a, a certain point where he's like, look, if we can't win it this way, and we've got the five star quarterback, and we we hit on this guy in the portal, and we got this guy from this school. If he can't make it work this way, this is kind of the last straw. And this could feel yeah. like a bit of an all-in season. They are they are going to be one of the older teams in the SEC. They have a lot of upperclassmen on that roster, despite the fact that they lost some key pieces that they're going to be replacing. Obviously, on the offensive side of the ball, replacing Ray Davis is going to be a difficult thing to do. But still, man, you just kind of wonder, like, how does he hope to go out? How does he feel like he is going to have this path? Because if you just tell me – well, the 12 team playoff. It's like, yeah, but it would have never, yeah. And I get that it could make a team like that feel involved in that in, in early October. Buddy, that that's that's five weeks of relevance. The rest of the year is a long time to be able to dissect that conversation. So I wonder if we're if we're reaching a different point with Stoops. And uh and look, I I don't I'm not gonna try and pretend like, oh, I know that he's going to retire if they don't win X amount of games. I'm not saying that, but if there's an over under of two and a half years for Mark Stoops to be at Kentucky, I would take the under, I would take the under. And I feel like this thing will, will, will change directions soon. And maybe it won't be a, a direction that, that feels like, Oh my gosh, Kentucky has fallen off a cliff and you've got to totally rebuild this thing. But I, I do feel like they, that at a point in the near future, they will be changing course and the Mark Stoops run at Kentucky will have, will have reached its final destination. It will be at the end of it. Yeah. And if you're Kentucky, you know, you're asking yourself, what do we want to, you know, what do we want to be? I mean, because that is tailor made to be a job that cycles through young, hotshot offensive guys who come in, have a good year one, year two, start to have to really build the program the way that Stoops has. And that's when they start to fall off. But would you take the go fish option? If you're a Kentucky fan is more or less the question, would you, you know, you know what Mark Stoops is, you know, exactly what Mark Stoops is. What do you value? You know, I mean, he's good against Louisville, you know, he's good against Florida. Um, He, you know, yeah, your team will lose these just weird games that are like, how did we do this? And it's, it can be embarrassing, you know, but it's not like uh, Mississippi state, Arkansas level embarrassing almost ever, right? It's so it's it's the fear of going backwards in pursuit of forwards. And I think that talking about the calendar and the stuff that we did, you know, last episode, as far as, you know, when you put in those long hours, when you are talking to kids all the time, when you're worried about your kids glowing up and potentially transferring, even as an SEC school, you know, you start to think, you know, maybe, maybe a change of scenario will is all you need in terms of this is starting to feel stale. This is starting to feel like a chore to get these guys. And maybe it's not the day to day, but it's more about like, I know I've seen this movie before. Well, the question that I would then have is, you know, the future of Calipari and the overall, uh, you know, there, no one's going to say, oh, Kentucky's a basketball school straight up, right? Which would have been the case before Stoops, I think, pretty easily, right? We talk about the history they had here for football versus basketball. I'm not, that's a testament to Mark Stoops, but in terms of what Kentucky as an athletic program is worried about, I think they're much more worried about where they're at with Calipari right now. And so point being, you know, I think that that is something that weighs on a guy like Mitch Barnhart, because it's like, okay, if, if Stoops is out here, you know, lighting a fire under my butt, trying to get indoor facility, trying to get all this stuff. But I know in the back of my head, I kind of gave this guy a lifetime contract and things aren't going great. Like you do have those, you know, the same aspirations that 
Ohio State or Alabama having football, you have in basketball at Kentucky, and your guy has not delivered that. I mean, just straight up in the last, you know, in recent history, they had that little resurgence right in the late 2010s. But as of now, you know, it's been uh, – they're not getting it done on that side. And so I, I would just be interested to see, you know, how that calculus works out when you could go from having these two guys that were just pillars in sports to – um, you know, both of them, their futures being up in the air and thinking, okay, you know, I, like your number one priority is going to be fix the basketball situation long-term. So Stoops is obviously a huge priority. It's all this different stuff. But if he's going to start doing the stuff that Saban did, start asking for stuff, start doing stuff. If you're Barnhart, you're like, dude, they're going to run me out of town if we have another basketball season, like the one that we had a couple last year. You, as tough as your thing is, people have already kind of assumed you're going to leave before. So if you leave or if things sour with you, enough fans have, like you said, they maybe don't have the highest opinion of him where we could go get a hotshot coordinator. We could figure it out. The expectations aren't as great there, but like this dude's I, I I'm, I'm thinking his daily life and what he worries about doesn't have a ton to do with Mark Stoops at this point. Yeah. I, I don't think Barnhart's future. And I, I don't think Barnhart and Stoops, decisions that they make, I, I don't think they're going to be dependent on one another at all. I, I think this is one of those rare situations where the Wait, dynamics... you mean Callum Stoops? No, no, no. I, I don't think Barnhart and Stoops, I don't think those gotcha. are synonymous. I, I, don't, I think this is a rare situation in which an athletic director is, is going to be more so at the mercy of the head coach and what he ultimately decides that he wants to do. And I don't know that it's going to be a decision that Barnhart's ever going to have to make. Like, unless this turns into... Five win season, five win season. Stoops isn't going anywhere. He's going to keep picking up that $9 million check that he gets on an annual basis. And he's going to say, we need more from this. And then I, unless it turns into that, which it's not at that place yet, Barnard's right. not going to have a decision to make other than I better keep a list ready to go of candidates to right. replace him because he is still the most successful coach in program history. It's a unique situation in the SEC because there are not, there are not situations like this at all. It's so unique across college football. Yeah, I don't know that there is a truly another comp that is quite like this, maybe with the exception of Iowa. Kirk Ferentz had a point where he was on the hot seat. And when I first started this job coming into 2015, it was like, oh, my God, are they going to actually pay that crazy buyout if he has a bad season in 2015? And then, boom, they end up going to a Big Ten championship. They're one play away from winning that. And then they would have gotten inevitably walloped in the college football playoff by Bama. But the point is that, you're trying to figure out what can stand in the way of longevity right now for Mark Stoops. And I think it's all internal. I think it's all at this point, man, I'm looking around. I'm seeing the sport the way that it is. I tried to get out. It didn't work. My decision-making will not depend on whether or not my athletic director can get me this, can get me that. If there, if there is one thing that breaks the, the camel's back, one straw, maybe, but I think Stoops at this point is just kind of figuring out what his exit strategy is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, like I said, if you're over there, you're kind of prepared for it because at the end of the day, you know, he, and I love the guy. I really do. Like, I think that he's been really good for the sport. I think he's been great for Kentucky. I think that he's truly changed the perception of that program. Right. Um, but if, if you are Mitch Barnard at this point, it's like, if we give you $5 million more million, what is my ROI on that? Like, it, it doesn't feel like we're $5 million away. It doesn't feel like we're $10 million away. It feels like you are who you are. And until we get the motion going where guys want to come here, which money doesn't do that. It's about culture. It's about the style of brand that you do. And, I, and like I said, I think his brand's been awesome, especially kind of in the CFP, like the four-team era 
uh, BCS era, right? It's like, you know, when pre-portal where it's like, okay, like we're going to develop these kids. Nobody's really doing that. And in a way, it's almost like these, like um, the the schools in March Madness that have all the seniors, like you were talking about, that's what it's turning into is, okay, we have this like senior laden team that is going to go up against all these one and dones and they might, because of their chemistry, be able to just overpower them. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it's just like, you know, he, there have been some jobs come open, like Nebraska would have been interesting to see him in, but that's obviously, I mean, rule is probably even a better fit there. So yeah, I, I, I'm very fascinated to your point to see. And obviously the, the only recent comp, honestly, is like Brian Kelly, like leaving Notre Dame. And it's like, whenever something like that happens, it's, it's, uh, seismic event. It's so rare for a guy to be so ingrained with a culture and then completely move. And like you said, he may retire. He may go be an analyst. He may go be, you know, hang out for a couple of years, whatever he wants to do. But yeah, it just, like you said, it just seems like everything is kind of pointing towards, and we could look so stupid after this year too. That's the other thing is that they could win 10 or even 11 games and Maybe. be like, you know, but logically, again, we, we're saying we know who he is because of all the data. It would be an outlier. It would be. I think the least likely outcome is Stoop staying another six, seven seasons at this point. That's of all the options that I laid out. That's I think more likely than, than, than being like, Hey, I'm going to be here for the rest of the 2020s decade. And that's yeah. Look, maybe Kentucky fans are rooting for it, but it does feel like we are reaching that point. All right. Let's kick to Matt Hayes. Uh, some thoughts on big 10 sec partnership, Kirby must champ more great stuff as always from Matt. So here is Matt Hayes. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our own Matt Hayes. Matt, um, look, when you see that the SEC and Big Ten are getting together and they are joining forces, we are not allowed to call it an alliance. That's stricken from the record. Mm-hmm. We can't say that anymore. Something about a certain uh, three-conference alliance that didn't go so well a few years ago. What should we make of the fact that the SEC and Big Ten are allegedly getting on the same page for the betterment of college football's future? Uh, they're trying to find a way out, man. And look, I I have been saying all along that I, I don't really, you know, everybody says it's not sustainable. It is sustainable because it's happening right now, right before our eyes. So deal with it. Even Nick Saban said it in his interview with ESPN as he was leaving. Look, you can complain about it or you can find a way to work it, work the problem. It's what you're getting paid for. Um, and I think that's what they're both doing right now. They're thinking, look, we are we make a lot of money as conferences. Combined, before we even talk about the new playoff contract, the SEC and the Big Ten beginning next year will make over $2 billion annually. So there's no way you can make that kind of money and not say, all right, what are we doing? How do we do it better? How do we get some form of, and I hate that word guardrails, but you use it anyway, to where we're headed. And I don't think, and again, this is what, Connor, unfortunately, we always talk about the money and people always talk about the money. And, and again, this is why are adults who make so much money so concerned about players earning money off their NIL? Why is Joe Blow out there who does whatever he does? Why is he so concerned about players making money? Anyway, it's not about the money, okay? It's not. A, it's never been about the money for the coaches either. It's about the player movement. That's the problem for them because it's it's the uncertainty with your roster and your roster management, and and you know you invest time in recruiting guys, you invest time in developing these guys, and then they leave. So the idea then becomes all right. What's the best way for us to get our arms around the idea of? I don't even want to use the word restricting movement, 
But the best way to put put movement in a situation where you have better control of it is by having a contract of sorts. But then when you start going down that road, Connor, you go down the their their employees, they can collectively bargain. And that doesn't mean that that can't happen. It just means that you can't have 10 different conferences in Notre Dame with 10 different ideas and, and another idea from Notre Dame. You know what I mean? Now you have the two biggest conferences in college sports who are saying, okay, this is what we're going to do, whatever they come up with. This is what we're going to do. If you guys want to get on board, fine, get on board. If not, we'll just go be the AFC and the NFC and we'll go be a minor NFL. Could we get a change starting with something like the early signing period going away? Is that even too big of a change to ask for from the NCAA in in its current state, knowing that it's going to start running into this 12-team playoff, knowing that that's a big part of the frustration with December and you're having coaches like Hugh Freeze saying, yeah, bowl prep was kind of on the back burner. We had so many other things to worry about. Is that a change that could not necessarily mitigate all of those other issues, but is that something that we could see put into effect as, as early as 2024? You know what? Um, I'm going to say no, and I'll tell you why. That that just falls in line for me as like another, it's unsustainable. The coaches were the ones who wanted the early signing period initially. They wanted it to get it out of the way so the players didn't have to like continue to be harassed by other coaches trying to re-recruit them. So they were all for it. And then once it started to, once they got it and it started to interfere with what they were doing with their roster management, then, oh, well, it's unsustainable now. So you're going to have the good and bad with any decision you make. Um, I, I look at it this way, man. And until, until you are in a situation where the players are getting, are sharing revenue, every move you make should be geared toward a player friendly move to help them out because you're giving them nothing right now. You're allowing them, allowing them, Connor, allowing them to earn off their name. Imagine that concept, allowing someone to earn off their name, image, and likeness. Like, okay, son or, or daughter, you can now go earn off your face. Go ahead. We're going to bequeath this to you. You got to be kidding me, man. You've got to be kidding me. So until we come up with this idea of how they're going to share revenue and how it's going to be done contractually and if they're going to be employees and if they're going to be able to collect a bargain. Every move they make has to be at, all right, what's going to be best for the players? And I don't think eliminating an early signing period is best for the players. I just don't. It won't be considered that. I do think that it should be abolished, though, just because of how much the sport has changed and what the portal and the reliance on that has become and trying to give some of these guys and essentially having two different periods of recruitment of having recruiting the portal and then versus recruiting high school talent. And that's kind of how I think you could evolve in, in that way. But TBD on, on anything related to that actually comes to fruition or if this is just coaches, you know, yelling into the clouds. I, I think Kirby. Now, is- I don't I don't disagree with you. Let, let me just make this point clear. I don't disagree with you. I, I think it would be smart to have more of a NFL type schedule, a calendar where you know exactly what's going on month after month of the year. It's not only good for the players and the coaches. It's also good to sell, to sell to advertisers. The NFL owns the year all year. Even when they don't play, they own it with the combine, with pro day workouts, um, with free agency, with owners meetings. Everything is done the same time, the same year. And you know when it is, and they own it. They own television. They own advertising. So I think if you're really going to go down this road, which it looks like they're going to, I think the idea of a schedule, a set schedule, is a great start. 
portal week would now be what fun. the schedule looks like connor is right who knows yeah that's that's the issue is, is figuring this out. Coaches don't want to just roll a team out onto the field and say, have at it, go play this game that nobody knows set rules for. Coaches, they want rules. They want to be told, hey, here's sure. what you have to do and try and find the competitive the competitive advantage within those those parameters, which like I, I think Kirby has done really, really well. And he has not shown any signs of slowing down. And at the same time, none of us know what's going through his head when his head hits the pillow every single night. And you talk about what's sustainable, what's not sustainable. Sustainable is, well, you know, there are certain things that are happening right now. And then there are certain things that you could look at two, three years from now and say, well, we should have known at the time that this wasn't going to be able to happen. With Kirby, besides what we know about the sport, is there anything that would suggest that he might not be in this for 20 years like Georgia fans obviously hope he will? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Kirby goes hard, man. He goes hard. He coaches hard. He recruits hard. He does everything full bore. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, man, I would be shocked if he's in it for another. He's not going to have a Nick run. He's not going to have a 17 year run. There's just no way. I can't even see that. Um, just because he goes so hard. Now, if he pulls back and, you know, we see a less driven Kirby, which I can't imagine, but every coach I talk to, um, everybody that knows him, Say he's he's destined to at some point just say, all right, it's enough. It's enough. And it doesn't mean it's going to be in a year or two years or three years. It doesn't mean he won't have three or four more national titles. He's just he he's his personality lends to the to the idea of all right, at some point he's just gonna say it's enough, I'm done. Remember like the old uh Dick Formeal of years ago in the NFL when he just was at the top of his game and just said, I'm done, I can't do it anymore. And he came back eventually with the Rams and won a Super Bowl, but Sometimes these guys, they just get, that's it. They're done. I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. And it's just, I wouldn't be shocked at all, at all. One of the guys who looks like he kind of did that, this Muschamp thing, I, I haven't really talked about it. And I know Muschamp is, is your guy. What did you make of his decision to step down uh, from his coordinator role to, to take on an analyst position to, to spend more time with his family? It sounds a little bit Matt Lukish, um, obviously because of where it's happening uh, like at Georgia, but, but, but different at the same time. Will's a unique cat, number one. And number two, he's also like Kirby. He's like, when he's in, he is in. Like, there's no half in. There's no, like, one foot in, one foot out. He's he's in. He's completely motivated and committed to it. Um, He's got a good life, man. He still, I think he still has that house on the lake in South Carolina. He you love that house, there. man. You always bring um, that up. <laughs> he's, he, I mean, he does. He brings it up all the time, man. He's very happy. Um. I don't, you know, I know he likes coaching, obviously. He likes working with young people. But, you know, at some point, well, he's in his, he's in his mid-50s now, right? Yeah. He's got to be early 50s, mid-50s. I mean, he's, you know, he's made a lot of money. At what point do you just say, hey, babe, let's go jump in the car and go drive around for a couple months, you know, or whatever, whatever. Let's go take a flight to wherever, you know. Kids are grown. Kids are in school. Let's go, let's go watch Whip play football every week. You know, that's, I mean, because you miss things like that when you're grinding day after day after day after day, which he's been doing for the last 20 something years. So I think it's as much him saying, look, it's time to pull back a little bit as it is just, all right, I'm kind of done with this. A must champ disciple, DJ Durkin. He got yet another SEC defensive coordinator job. 
dig into the numbers. I, I'm I'm the guy that tries to look at, you know, I try and play devil's advocate, not so much in like a, a trolling type way, but just is there something that I'm missing is what I've really tried to, I spent the last week basically asking that question with Durkin, you know, talking to people about like, okay, who is he within those doors? And, you know, I've heard that he's, he's not just a yes man and that he'll actually stand up to a head coach. And at the same time, you can look at all these things that have happened and say, well, yes, he is an average SEC coordinator. And also we still know about everything that happened with Maryland. And it's kind of wild to think that, since then, he's had three different SEC coordinator jobs wherein he's had total autonomy on the defensive side of the ball after all of that stuff played out. What am I not understanding with Durkin besides the fact that he is a must-champ disciple, like he spent that year with Harbaugh, but like the fact that the guy hasn't necessarily elevated units and he's not necessarily this, this guy who's like cranking out these top 20, top 25 defenses on a yearly basis or any, anything really sustainable that, well, that he's done. Well, his defense at Michigan was pretty good. His defenses at Texas A&M were pretty good. They weren't elite. Defense weren't at Michigan elite. got there's no doubt about that. Defense at Michigan got better the year after. Got he pummeled was there by Ohio Brown. State. Yeah, and got better with Don Brown. Yeah, well, like, um, immediately yeah, after. Yeah. And I would I would also He's, argue I that tell you this. defense. The A&M defense was three, third in the country, though. Like right before he got there. That's that's my point. I, I apologize for interrupting. That's all right. Um, I, I can just tell you this from from everyone I've talked to that knows him, that has coached with him. They all say he's a he's a great dude. He's a great guy to have on the staff. A guy I, I, he's like you said, not a like mind, but he's also a guy that everybody likes. Which again, staff harmony is so critical right now in, in the in this day and age of these guys moving every year. You know, coaches and assistant coaches. Um, and he's part of. He's been a part of that. But he's a guy that everybody likes. He gets along well with everybody. Um. And he's a great recruiter too. That's another thing. And that at this point, it's recruiting is now it's not uh, obviously not just about high school recruiting. It's about poor recruiting. And he knows how to sell um, that as much as anything. That and his exes and O's about to keep getting him jobs. And that's not like he's. It's not like his defenses have been poor. You know what I mean? Right. It's just it, it just look. There are a lot of other guys that have jobs both defensive and offensive coordinators that are you like, wow, what in the world's going on there? How do you not make a change there? Yeah, I get it. Um, I still like, I, I looked at the, you still the, have a problem right now. I still, I, I'm just trying to get it because here's the thing. I looked at his recruiting numbers since the Maryland stuff. I don't happened. think it has anything to do with the Maryland thing. I, I mean, we, we can argue all day about the Maryland thing and how, you know, was he at fault? Was he completely at fault? Or was it just, you know, something that happened, he had no control. You, you know, you can argue that forever. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I honestly don't. I think it's more along the lines of these guys think he's a good coach and they know he's a great recruiter. And that's why he gets hired. Yeah, it, it's interesting. He, he's only been credited with signing one, one like top 100 guy in the those six, seven years since, or I guess six years since then. So it's not like he's like, if you look at some of his recruiting stuff, at least what, what he's credited with, which that gets a little bit murky if you kind of look at the 24-7 stuff. Right. And like a lot of a lot of his recruiting exploits were guys that he signed when he was at Florida and not so much like what he's what he's done since then. And we know obviously AM had right. a pretty rolling kind of before he got there. It's just one of those weird things. It's just one of those weird things that's like, all right, you know, these guys come up and there's a bunch of those guys in the NFL where you kind of scratch your head going, How is this guy still getting a job here? How is this guy still getting a job there? Right. And he's right. kind of become that, at least, at least for me. Uh Hugh Freeze. 
he's done a lot of great things so far, but I kind of wonder, is, is he looking at his two predecessors going, hmm, Brian Harson had a coup organized because of the things that he didn't do year one going into year two. And the guy before him got a $21.5 million buyout, the richest at the time ever paid to a head coach to go away. Is he panicking a little bit with the taking back play calling duties with the coordinator stuff? Like, is are there moves that suggest that he's kind of feeling the itch that he needs to be able to turn this around in a hurry? Uh, I, I don't know if I would go that far. I think he's, I think the itch, like that, that's a good word. I think it, the itch is more he's itching to get his hands back in it. I don't think it's a panic move. I think he's, I think there's a sense of urgency to find a quarterback. There's no doubt about that. Okay. And whether it's Hank on the roster or someone else, they need a quarterback. And, and that's because I think structurally what they've done and what he has done there and what it looked like last year was solid. Okay. Regardless of what you think about the bowl game, that, that's an anomaly. Okay. He just needs a quarterback. He needs a guy that can throw the ball. It's, it's, we are in a passing era. You've got to throw the ball downfield. And they didn't have that last year. And everywhere he's been, he's eventually figured out the quarterback spot with the transfer, by the way, every time. Bo Wallace, yeah. Chad Kelly, and Malik, Malik Willis. True. So yeah. he will find a quarterback, maybe someone from the spring portal, and that's where you'll start. I, I think he's going to find some. I don't know who it's going to be, but I think he'll get somebody from the spring portal. And then all of a sudden, you're going to see this team. It'll be, it'll be a more efficient offense, and they'll win. They will win eight games. They may win more than that because I think they're structured. They're pretty good at where they are right now. The prop, the, the only problem I have with that is I've dug into the post spring quarterback transfers and how much those guys have struggled their first year. And I think he wanted to ideally avoid doing that again because obviously that's what he did with Peyton Thorne. And I thought some of the things that you saw in him, it looks like a guy who was a post spring transfer with the lack of reports, receivers, all those different things. The guy I would love to see in an Auburn uniform is Ty Simpson. The problem is that right now that SEC intra-conference transfer rule still exists in that spring window. Are we going to see that abolished? Because to me, I still can't believe that that exists. I, I don't. I don't know. Like if um, I'm not exactly sure it does still exist. Actually, I thought that, I thought that it's I'm not that sure it's still that it up does. there. Okay, then there's I'm at least sure some sort of discrepancy does. about the, the fact that number you, one. Number one, I'm not sure that it does. And number <laughs> two, if it if it does, and I'm almost positive it doesn't. If it if it does, that you can get by with. That's that's the least amount of worries on Greg Sankey's table right now is you know spring transfers. So I, I I'm almost positive it's not it's not on anymore. Okay, I but, might be wrong, but I'm almost positive it's not it's not a factor anymore. The fact that we're having, but even if it is, even if it is, even if it is, you, I mean, I, 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 I would, I could see that happen. I could see, I could see Ty Simpson going and then appealing and the SEC approving the appeal. Yeah, I, I hope that's what happens for the sake of just wanting to, or see whoever, Ty, whoever in the SEC, right, right. Well, I mean, okay. if it's someone from, I don't, I don't know, if it's let's say Graham Merch decides to transfer to Auburn because you know he, he sees the writing on the wall that it's DJ Lagway. I'm just uh, kidding, Florida <laughs> fans. Relax, okay? My God. Of all the guys you had to say, Graham Mertz, that's probably the most triggering quarterback you can name as a potential transfer. Like, hey, I get the lagway hype. I, I get it. Trust me. But, man, I, I don't know if that's if that's going to be something. That well, here's another thing. Like, I don't I don't know why, why Florida fans are so upset, but 
that cat's not signing with Florida and, and they're not paying a ton of money in NIL for him to just sit there and do nothing. Correct. What do they think he's going to do? And well, oh, by the way, the coach is in a make or break season. What do they think he's going to do? I was, I, and I don't know if you've heard differently. I, I was told that there, by the time he signed, there was already the package, the offensive package in place. And there was plans for multiple, like probably like three, three to four packages with him and the type of offense that he's going to run when he plays meaningful reps in games. That's going to be the plan for DJ Lagway with Graham Mertz, obviously still locked in as, as the starter, but that's, that's just the idea. So you're right. Like he, he's going to get in games. I mean, goodness gracious, a freshman quarterback playing at Florida. What a crazy concept. Yeah. It happens all the time, but it's just a matter of how is it going to be, you know, how's it going to be perceived? How effective will he be? And how much will that impact their overall season? And could it say Billy Napier's job? That's, I think the, the, the different discussion as it relates to that. See um, how we went down this road so quickly? We, how I, quickly we went down this road? And the best thing for Billy Napier is it motivates Graham Mertz. He's now, he's now zeroed in for eight months. Yeah. He may come out and fall camp and just be like a monster. Who knows? I don't even want to go down this road today, but here we are. That's just, that's just the way all roads lead back to, to Florida. Um, all okay. roads lead back to Mertz. Let's, let's get you out of here on, on a little bit of Bama stuff. Um, we have differing viewpoints, I think, on Kalen DeBoer working in Tuscaloosa. As of this recording, we don't know about Ryan Grubb to the NFL with the Seahawks OC job. So let's kind of treat that as a relative unknown. We don't know either way. Uh, you're not as bullish on DeBoer succeeding in Tuscaloosa. What's, what's the specific reason that you kind of default to when you try and project how he's going to look three, four years from now? Well, first off, I think they got the best coach they could get. All right. Now I said all along they should have hired Lane Kiffin, but it's clearly they're not going to. They weren't going to do that. But I think after that, they they got the best coach they could get. I mean, it's hard to argue with what he's done. Um, it, it's hard to argue with a guy who's won so, have been so successful at every level he's been at, and then including the Power Five, where he won twenty five and twenty eight games and had his team in the national championship game in year two. Um, and he took over a mess there at Washington. What was going on there with Jimmy Lake was bad. Like, bad, bad. So what he did there was impressive. Um, I, I, This isn't really specific to him, Connor. I just think whoever it was going to be to follow to follow Lane, to Lane, see, see that Freudian slip? To follow Nick was going to have a problem, was literally going to have a problem because there's the fan base is going to be, I mean, when Nick was there, when they lost, it was tragedy. You know, when you win, it's exhaling. That's you can't have that with this cat with, with DeBoer. He he's this is a different thing, man. But they'll still have those expectations. Let's say they go ten and two, or nine and three. My God, they'll want him out immediately. I'm not saying that that Greg Burns going to bow to that, or whoever the AD and president are at whatever time down the road is going to bow to that. But he's inherently looking at a difficult slog, and it's uphill. It's against the wind. It's sixty mile an hour blizzard. I mean, to have that. I, mean, I don't think it's even ever snowed in Tuscaloosa in, in ages. But you know what I mean. It's a difficult slog for him, man, as, as it would be for anybody. That's why I'm not bullish on his perspective. I wouldn't be bullish on anybody's perspectives in, in that job. Frank Solich had Except all the Except maybe ties. Kirby. <laughs> That's true. The, the, the Kirby content. just walk in there and be the same thing. He would take his binders that he got that he left the Bama stuff on before when he got to Georgia, and then he would just bring them all back to Bama. It'd be like, hey, we don't even. Could you have imagine to the Georgia fans like 
Could the Georgia fans hate him? I, I mean, mean, could they? If that happened, could they hate him? I don't know that there's anything. My God, they'd be distraught. They'd be absolutely distraught. Seriously, because like the the only thing that I could that I can think of when you say that is LeBron leaving the Cavs. But LeBron, when he left the Cavs, hadn't finished the job. He hadn't won the championship. Kirby Kirby's won two in my mind. Barring a massive scandal, he's forever a legend at Georgia, even if he does decide to make the ultimate cross enemy lines type move. Like to do that to his alma mater as well, like how much that would sting. It would sting perhaps more than anything that we've seen in the history of college football, or it would have. But again, like the time. Maybe even sports. I mean, come on. We are, we are talking about the NBA here. I mean, I mean, how many people really care about the NBA other than the playoffs? I love the playoffs, the regular season. <laughs> but. That being said, and I love the magic too, believe me, I'm like you. Um, I, I, I it, we're going down another weird road here, but just, I, I, I just, I just wonder, like, could Georgia fans hate him if that happened? Could they turn their eye against him? And I don't think they could. I just don't. No. They would want to hate him, but they just couldn't. That's, that's what They'd I, they probably hate whoever the AD slash president was who couldn't keep him. Yeah. That's true. Oh, it's that's all good your fault. That's a good point. Yeah. Yep. And it would be. It definitely would be. Okay, let's end with a weird one then. <laughs> Just why not? Why not? Yep. It's already gone down a strange road anyway. Why not? Yeah. Okay, what is more likely in 2024? Kalen DeBoer leads right. Bama to an SEC title or Billy Napier gets a year four? What is more likely? More likely? Mm. An SEC title? Wow. This is a good question. Thank you. Um, that's a tough schedule Florida's got, man. I'm going to go with Kalen DeBoer winning the SEC. <laughs> I'm going to go with Kalen DeBoer doing a Michael Penix Jr. with Jalen Milrow and Alabama circling the wagons and saying, screw all you, we're going to still win the SEC. I'm going to go with that. Fair, fair. Just because that schedule is just, it's brutal, and they're young. They are very young, that team still. And I don't, I mean, if you go five and seven, and I, I know what Scott Strickland said um, to the Orlando Sentinel. I, I read it, and I know he's backing his guy. Well, he has to back his guy because he hired him. And Scott's a good dude. He gets it. He understands it, right? But he, he's not going five, seven again and keeping that job. No chance in hell. Not Scott Strickland's no decision. Not his decision. No, at that point, no. It becomes Ben Sass, the president's decision, right? Yes. Yeah, that that I think is the more, the more pressing thing. But, yeah, I, I read – I read Edgar Thompson's story and, and thought the same exact thing. Wrote a column off of that quote alone, and and I was like, yeah, that's to me that that's the doesn't the mean he's going to go to five. Doesn't mean they're going to go five and seven. I mean, they may everything may hit, and you know, no injuries, and they go they went eight, they go eight and four. I think he, he's, you know, yep. Florida now thinks thinks eight and four is great, which is another thing in and of itself. But I think if they go eight and four, he probably gets another year. Yeah, Matt, eight and four with that schedule is great. Oh, I'm saying it. I'll I'll give them all the credit. I'm see, not but you're saying- like, see, this is the problem. You're like everyone else now. You're like just settling and lowering the bar. Well, yep. I, I have no idea why that program lowers the bar to eight eight wins is okay. No, it's not okay. No, not when you have everything you could possibly want at that program and every inherent advantage, including being in the state of Florida. You're, I mean, they're they're they are they're at the point now where Texas was where Texas had all the inherent advantages and all the money in the state of Texas, and they just kept blowing season after season after season. And at some point, the kids that grow up and become high school football players, they know Florida, they know Texas, 
That's just an average team. It doesn't matter anymore. That's where Florida's on the verge of right now. Where they're just Florida. They're not any good. So why not go to Ohio State? Why not go to Alabama? Why not go to Georgia? You can't lower the bar, man. And I'm not just saying for Florida specific. I mean anywhere. Never lower the bar and say eight wins is good enough. And you know what? These guys are making seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve million a year. They get it. That's the business. Win games. If you don't win games, we'll have somebody else who will. Period. I think you could say that about all three programs in the state. Kind of during the twenty tens. A hundred percent you can. Yeah. Bad time. Bad time to be struggling when recruiting got more national than ever and the arms race did not benefit them. And that's like whenever pe- people ask me about that, like why why did those programs struggle in that part of, of of this critical time in college football when there was more money than ever? It's like, well, that's kind of it. They lagged behind in the facilities when they probably shouldn't have. They didn't recognize how much everybody was infiltrating their recruiting ground. And even though they do have that advantage, it's still been a more level playing field than they probably realized uh, at the time. But yeah, eight and four. Look, Kyle, let me ask you this. Mario's go, Mario goes six and six. You think he stays in Miami? You think they stay with him? That's okay. The, 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 the second part of that, of that question is the, is the better one. Yes. He would stay at Miami. Would Miami stay with him? That's what I'm saying. I think Miami would, keep him. He goes six and six. They keep him. He would be gone at six and six. Now we don't know. I don't, right. I don't think that the buyout terms are, are reported if I'm not mistaken, because, because Miami's private. So there's like a little bit of murkiness on like what they would owe him. After they have, yeah, that- but they got Ruiz. Ruiz will just throw that money at him. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's true. That's that's probably true. <laughs> but like, you're right. I mean, that's 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 the question that faces a program like that. Is okay. So what what are you lowering the bar to? What are you saying is good enough? And yeah. while there are people like me that if Florida has that eight and four season, I'd be like Billy Napier, coach of the year. They figured it out. At the same time, in the grand scheme of things, in the the ten year viewpoint of Florida what did this year really do is going to be probably the more interesting question. And did they really make that progress or did they just win a couple of games that they weren't supposed to? And ultimately they didn't get to that place where they saw a program that was heading in the right direction for the rest of the decade. Like they hoped. Plus, I mean, quite frankly, and I know you probably don't want to go on this road again, but quite frankly, you know, Billy neighbors been saying this and now Scott Strickland said it too, is, you know, we were a play away against Missouri and a fourth down stop. And, you know, a, a field goal against Arkansas. Well, you're in those situations, losing the teams you should be because of coaching. That's why. When you have your field goal team running on the field, when all you got to do is spike the ball, you're in this situation because of coaching, okay? When it's fourth and 16, you can't get off the field. That's coaching. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, why would someone say that? Why would they say we're, we're just as close away? We're, you know, we get those two wins and it's a different deal. You got seven wins, then you might win a ball game. You got eight wins and it's trending up. No, no, it's not trending up. You are who you are right now, period. Matt, I was done with the we're X amount of plays away when I heard Bill Lynch say going into the 2010 season at Indiana, we were four plays away from being eight and four. When I heard that, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm a student reporter, and I know what he just said is absolute BS. And I think it's incredible the spin zones that you will hear from from those perspectives. Like, okay, so what about those other like you know 65 plays over the course of the game that you know it's just like it's such a it's such a revisionist history like positive spin for a head coach that 
probably doesn't deserve it at that point. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the spin is for for Napier, for Florida, for Strickland as well. It's going to be really interesting. Matt, uh, I'm sure we'll. I'd like to see him succeed. I, he's a good dude. I'd like to see him succeed. It's just he's struggling right now, man. There's no doubt. He'd probably admit it too if you sat down out a beer with him. This wasn't part of the plan. This this wasn't part no, of the master plan God, no. at this point. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. Matt, I'll let you get back to it. We'll do this again real soon, man. Appreciate it. Okay, buddy. See you. Jersey contest, Will. I'm just going to guess it's Tyler from Spartanburg. <laughs> the Tyler from Spartanburg crossover is electric. I've never thought to connect those two. This is the perfect podcast for this. Uh, okay, no guesses. Number 12, Spartanburg Day School. We've established it's Spartanburg, South Carolina. Spartanburg, South Carolina is is that KG? No, but that's an incredible guess. I'll give you one more. Dwight Howard? No, he went to Atlanta. He was in uh, uh, in Atlanta schools. This is Zion Williamson. Uh, that's uh, okay. I should have connected the dots there. That made more sense. Okay. Yes, that is, you know, like one of the most, him and Jadavion Clowney are the high school tapes I will never forget in my life the first time I saw them, you know, and it's so funny because, you know, he played in this small kind of like private school in South Carolina and his highlight tapes are funny because this jersey looks like a middle school jersey. Like it's just, it's so blocky and like not ergonomic and you would just see him in this, like what looked like a breakaway jersey from the 90s, just dunking on progressively larger people. Like when it was the people that look like me and you, it was like, okay, this isn't that impressive. But then the people have only gotten bigger. It was Wimbayamba the other day. <laughs> so that I think it's a, it's an interesting choice for, because it looks like a McDonald's all America Jersey, like those old ones, not, not like the, the new ones. But when I first saw that, I'm like, is that, no, I guess that doesn't really make as much sense. But when these, when these like big time players come through the program and I swear some of these teams see themselves on ESPN or something like that. And then they see how bad their jerseys are. And then they change immediately after that. I I think LeBron school did that same thing of like, it's not just as simple as LeBron donated a ton of money to the high school. And now they can do this. I'm sure that's part of it, but I always feel like they see themselves on national television and they're like, Oh, our uniforms suck. We should probably upgrade. I bet they've since upgraded. Yeah, and I mean, also if it's Zion, it's like there's not a ton of these guys walking around that fill this jersey, so you you gotta start you gotta start over. So yeah, point being, like I I was a huge Zion guy when he got drafted. Obviously, he's been he's been up and down, but I think it's just a super cool jersey piece to have. This is one of those you, know, you could wear at festivals and stuff. Um, but it's just it's a period of time, right, where we were all simpler times pre-COVID, where we were all sitting there watching our screen and be like. What is this, again, like Brock Bowers, what is this space alien that is out here just levitating like the way that Michael Jordan used to where it feels like, and I'm not not comparing him as a player, obviously, but the fact that he would jump and you would feel like there was boosters on him and he would just be like hanging there in the air. And it was like, how can a person this big do this stuff? So yeah, as a, you know, I try to get, uh, like I have an Iverson one too that I won't break out because it would feel like redundant. But, you know, I always like to have the bigger guys for jerseys because it like fits, right? Like, Iverson's not that guy. Zion, you know, you can fill out a Zion jersey. You can fill out a Luka jersey. You know what I'm saying? So that's why, you know, I, he was a dream coming to the Pelicans for me because it's, this is a big guy. This is a guy who I can get down with. He's so fun to watch. So I want to get back to that. He's been playing really good ball this year, and he looks like he's focused. So it's always fun. Would he have the same appeal for you if he went through a body transformation 
And all of a sudden he showed up one off season and it's like, whoa, he lost 60 pounds and he's playing so differently. And he's more, more like a traditional wing. Would your love of him fade with the LBs? If that, if that were the, the route he decided to take in his career. That's a great question. If it was for health reasons, like if he was just like, Hey, I talked to this person in, you know, Iceland and they said that I needed to lose all this weight, like Kobe did or whatever. It's like, okay, it, it was a weight for Kobe. It was uh, it's like ankles, I think, but it was like, if, if it was some expert that was like, Hey, you need to do to stay healthy. That's the biggest concern was Ion. So I'm always down with that. But if he was just like, eh, like, I just want to stop dunking on people. I'd be like, Oh, <laughs> It's like, I really want to work on my post-up game, and I think I could have more explosiveness on the baseline. It's like, ah, no, that's, that's not, I can't really get on board with that. I remember Matt Harvey gained a bunch of weight one offseason because he wanted to look like Roger Clemens in the 80s, and he wanted to pitch like him too, and he convinced himself that that was the key to his success. And then I, I don't know if he ever had a full season again after that. He should have just done steroids. I think he was missing a key component. That old boy was only that electric at that weight because his muscles were just supercharged. So maybe missing ingredient there just a little bit with the offseason workout plan. All right. I did all this stuff, but I just can't be Mark McGuire. What's going wrong? I'm doing the arm curls. I, I just rewatched Long Gone Summer, which, look, it, it's very much a PR. It's, it's a. PR spin for Mark McGuire, the entire doc, but that's kind of what the summer of 98 was. And it kind of encompassed right. that in my opinion, a little bit, even as like somebody who wanted Sosa to be the record holder and all that stuff. But just seeing the mass that he put on late in Oakland was, Oh my God. It's, it's truly insane to look back on some of these and be like, how did we never at that point say, Oh, definitely a steroids guy. Like, Without a doubt, I don't need to test that guy. He 100% is. Different time. We don't need to get into the steroids discussion, but made me think of that. Man, like 94, 95 Big Mac was when he really got cartoon character levels of muscle. It was a beautiful sight to see. It really was. I can say that even as a Bitter Cup fan. Yeah, there you go. Lad of the week, Will. I'll let you go first, yeah. Okay, uh, I was wondering if we're going to have the same one this week. I feel like we've done that a lot lately. Okay, I go ahead, I'll tell you. I have a last of the week. Okay, then no. Okay, okay. Tracy Chapman. If you Oh, saw, that's a great one. Wow. Yeah. If you somehow missed the Grammys performance of Fast Car with Luke Holmes, uh, watch it right now. It's it's all over the right. internet. It's it's tremendous. I loved that Luke let her have that stage because I get it. It's her song. Luke has brought it back into the music world in such a beautiful way. But he showed such incredible restraint during that performance, which for her had to be terrifying. Can you imagine not performing in public like Tracy Chapman for, for years and then deciding, you know what? Now is my time to come back. Oh, by the way, it's at the Grammys. No big yeah. deal. <laughs> no big deal. I, I'm sure she got over stage fright a long time ago. But still, you watch that and you're just like, she, she really soaked in that moment. It was cool. I don't care who you are, what your background is, what type of music you like. That song hits. It is so good. I admittedly, and maybe you differ on this, I wasn't super familiar with the original version before Luke's came out on on Getting Old, his most recent record. Um, Mm -hmm. It was before, it was like one of those songs where, I don't know, some of these songs from the 80s that I feel like, oh yeah, we've heard it in stadiums, we've heard it on the radio and a bunch of times. For whatever reason, that song just kind of missed me because I was born in 1990. So I remember listening to 
the getting old album. I was like doing yard work or something on some day uh, about a year ago. And fast car was my favorite song on the Luke Holmes album. And I go inside and I tell Lauren, Hey, you've got to listen to this song. And she's like, yeah, Connor, that's a remake of the Tracy Chapman song. I was like, that's probably why it sounded a little bit familiar. And then I, you know, listened to that one, how big it was, you know, 35 years ago, learn all about it and stuff. And it's cool that Luke's version is so true to that song that he didn't even change the lyric of, so I work in the market as a checkout girl. Like that's how much homage Mm -hmm. Luke Combs paid to Tracy Chapman. I just, I, I thought it was so cool. I thought it was awesome. Like on a night in which Taylor Swift announced a new album, which should be for many people, the only thing worth talking about probably it still felt to me mm-hmm. like Tracy Chapman was the star of the show. She goes all the way up to number one on the U.S. iTunes charts. Just such a, a cool thing. Like I've thought a lot about, I've got a lot of different thoughts about like just sampling and remixes and people in music right now that are just using old lyrics to try and play into nostalgia. And it, it frustrates me, but this feels like it was done in the right way on just every possible level and it injected life into a song that quite frankly should have never stopped playing on the radio. Like why did that song ever get taken off of the radio because it was five minutes? Like that's just such a dumb thing. I hope it has 50 years of life beyond this point, either version. I don't care. You can put them on anytime, anywhere. I'm down for some fast car. Yeah. I think that, you know, she just has a really interesting, you know, unique story. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, the Grammys performance is like a, a really good tribute to uh, she filled in for, I believe it was like Stevie wonder at Wembley stadium, just out of nowhere. Did you and see that, that clip? Like, Did you see that? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That was cool. That was really cool. Yeah. And that, I mean, that kind of catapulted her to stardom, but it's like that song in itself is an atypical song. It's like a folk song in a way. It's like a little bit, it's not exactly a country song. Right. And so hearing that like it's one of those things where you just like have to hear it like if you like if i describe that song to you you couldn't get why it was good but you see the video of her playing it when you're like oh my god like nobody really like i'm sure some people knew the song but you could hear the the audio of everyone like every time she kind of hits like a hook they just got to get louder and louder and say hey you got to fast let's go and so you kind of like it's like it, it's just her it's like her presence the her delivery everything about her is so one of one that you really can't replicate or do anything and shout out, like you said to Luke Combs. I mean, we could get into, I don't even think I've, I've specifically talked to you about this. I think country music is about to have a resurgence and it is having a resurgence and a new golden age because of some of the guys, you know, talking about um, Tyler Childers, uh, Brian, Jelly Roll, um, or not Luke Bryan, Zach Bryan. Zach Bryan. My bad. You did, this, the, you did the same the, thing that Clark Lee did. When Clark Lee, when I asked him, what's your favorite country artist? And he's like, Luke Bryan. And then he told his assistants what he did after. And they're like, you said Luke Bryan was your favorite country. He's like, oh, I meant Zach Bryan. And then they gave him a bunch of crap for it. So look, it happens to the best of us. That's see, that's just confusing because there's Luke Combs. We've talked about Luke Combs, Zach Luke Bryan, Brown Zach Bryan. Yeah, yeah. Zach Brown bands in there. Anyway, yeah, I, I do think that country is like truly having a, a moment and they're they're coming back. And I think that Luke Combs is a guy that has been known for kind of an underdog story. So it's super cool that he kind of brought that story back to the forefront for a new generation. Cause again, how would you hear it? Like, she's not really a person that goes out and does these big tours or it's like, it's just hard to like, like, Hey, you got to hear Tracy Chapman. She's blank. Like, how would you describe Tracy Chapman as someone? It's probably more folk than anything else, but Mm -hmm. it's just not a type of music that you hear a ton of. It's, I don't know. Like 
throwing almost some Cheryl Crow vibes to her, if that makes sense. Okay. A little bit where you, you feel like you could just put her on stage and just with a guitar and, and just go. And it's it's pretty incredible to think about. It. Like when you kind of dig into, you know, like why why wasn't she why wasn't she somebody that had like all these number ones that were on the radio? Maybe maybe that's part of it and why you know it feels like she has had to have this you know resurgence in this sort of way to get brought back into the forefront but i don't know like it it doesn't really feel like it gets put into any specific box all i know is that it's it's good music and i i could listen to it all day and i feel like i need to do like a a tracy chapman binge listen at, at some point because if she's got more stuff like that man like golly i've been i've been missing out yeah, and I mean, uh, 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 the only allegory I could think of is like Bob Dylan. It feels the same deal with Bob Dylan. It's like, how exactly would I describe Bob Dylan to someone? You just got to hear it. And and I mean, and again, like going back to, you know, <laughs> I'm scared about people's names. Going back to Luke Combs, it's like, you know, the fact that he gave this shine to, you know, an older black woman, you know, uh, who is not straight, uh, who, you know, in the country music space, you know, people like that really don't get a lot of representation at all. It's a lot of the, you know, and, and we could talk about how country music became way too pop. And I'm sure you'd probably agree with that, you know, kind of 2014, about 2019, there was 13, that, yeah, that era. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. There was like that whole reign of, um, uh, Miranda Lambert and, uh, who was the guy that she was married to? Uh, Blake Shelton. Yeah. 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 Like what that era of country music where they were like the faces of it, I, I despised it. Just me personally, because it wasn't what country started as. And 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 the fact that Luke Combs can say, Hey, actually, Tracy Chapman, when you really get down to what this song is about, what she's into, she may not, you know, look like, you know, old boy down at the, you know, the general store or whatever, but this is country music. This is real good country music as a message behind it. It's a great story. So yeah, I, I give him ultimate, ultimate respect too. And TikTok is a big thing that brought her back as well because that song mm. went viral on TikTok. And so it's just so cool to see a new generation embrace this non-traditional vocalist. Um, yeah, I love that as a, as a last of the week. I love that it was all over. I mean, it was, you couldn't go anywhere on, on Twitter. I think Luke Combs even had some sort of uh, ad deal like with, with Twitter where it showed up immediately afterwards. And then he linked to, to the song. And I think he even linked to her version of it too. Um, but yeah, just a cool moment. Like I think it was Van Lathan who said like music used to make us feel things that kind of like made you feel mm -hmm. something in, in a way that I don't know. I just haven't in a while. It was really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's it. It's all about emotion. Yeah. You know, sports music. It all should be about emotion. It should make you feel something and writing, you know, same um, podcasting. I should make you feel that I'm stupid totally. every time I get on this mic. <laughs> you should be so angry at me and my laugh and my table pounding that you should go write a review. And if you've done that, I've won. Uh, anyway, so my my lad of the week is uh, Mark Andrews, who might have saved a woman's life. Yes, uh, Baltimore Ravens tight end Mark Andrews was on a flight. Mind you, after uh, losing a playoff game, uh, he was just uh, headed to Arizona or whatever. He's on a, he was on a flight. Uh, Mark Andrews, and he's a guy, you know, he's right there behind Kelsey. He's not going to be as famous as Kelsey, but in terms of NFL tight ends, you know, he's he's right in that on the Hall of Fame pace, um, just, you know, without as many of the, uh, the, the headlines. But he's a great player. If you ever had him in fantasy, it's been a great experience. I've won many a championship behind Mark Andrews. But, you know, this kind of speaks to the lot of the week, and he's low-key, right? He's on this flight. Um, this woman kind of, like, collapses, uh, and he just immediately springs into action. Um, he has type 1 diabetes, um, and so he basically showed them how to use this, uh, this like medical rescue kit because he like, you know, 
checked her blood sugar. He checked her heart rate. His quote, let me, let me find this quote. It's like one of the craziest things. Hold on. Um, in this article. Okay. Boom. Uh, he told, uh, WZ, WJZ that a woman sitting in front of them had started losing consciousness. I hear everything. Spring says, I hear how low her heart rate was. We're talking like 35, 40 beats a minute. Her pulse was extremely weak at one point. So like, basically he's like out here, basically assessing the situation, administering treatment. Um, and then like what, what this person spring says is Mark pipes up. Well, first of all, I didn't know it was Mark. I had no idea it was sitting next to me. Basically he says, do you know, could her blood sugar be low? I have a diabetic test kit. So he just springs into action. Um, and basically, yeah, I, I think that, you know, we talk about, um, I'll, I'll keep this a little bit shorter because you know, Tracy Chapman, like you said, woman of the moment, but, um, I think it's just so cool to have, you know, we talk about the glitz and the glam of the NFL, you know, Taylor Swift bowl, all the stuff that's going on right now, but to be in a situation where dude could have just, you know, ate his food, minded his business, not been a part of it, just lost, you know, playoff game, having more questions about, okay, what are the Ravens going to do? This was supposed to be their year. And the, and not only is he like, okay, I'm involved here. I'm listening. I'm not moping, but he's also like, let me just hop out here and see, let, let me, let me help this person. Let me save this person's life and be this leader. And so I think that's super cool. Just, you know, going above and beyond, you know, we always talk about who much is given, much is tested, you know, um, not to get too like biblical about it or anything, but it's just so cool to see guys and, and, and people in general, just use their abilities for good, like Mark Andrews. So lad of the week. Some would say that Mark Andrews' ultimate safety valve. That one was just sitting right there. Come on. That was, there you go. You know, we'd go there. He yeah, knows I'm, how to get out of a tight situation. This is true. This is true. Mm -hmm. God, Lamar loves him too. Now, it's it's, it's yeah. kind of like you see the comments of like when he comes back from injury and all that stuff. As as a, a Mark Andrews fantasy owner for the last three years in my keeper league, I've been very invested in his success um, and have definitely been very – I mean, I, I would say he has benefited me very much, uh, but being able to spring into action like that. I always think there's something interesting, too, about guys like and just professional athletes in general. The lowered heart rate is a phenomenon that I would love to dig into more of the people mm -hmm. in that moment. And you could say, like, you know, it's it, it's put up or shut up. It's whatever you want to call it, like the ability to, to not freak out in that moment. I, I don't have it like mm -hmm. fight or flight that how much that's studied but like the lowering of the heart rate is such an underrated thing that so many people in positions like that who perform or, or anything like that possess and to spring into mm -hmm. action when that happens god i would have been that would not have been me let's just just say that uh your boy would not have stayed calm cool and collected uh if someone next to me had passed out on a flight and be like oh my god this is this is this is my actual nightmare. I'm going to watch this person die while I just sit here frozen, with no idea what to do. Yeah, I think the I think your point about the injury is really well made too, because it's like, yeah, this guy was not playing for a pretty good chunk of the season there, and then he got activated to go basically like play in and lose a playoff game when he, you know, it wasn't his fault or anything. Like he was just out there doing his job, and it's like, oh man, I'm coming off this injury, I'm coming off this loss, but it's like, you know what? I'm going to be the MVP of this moment. Let's go, boys. He's just got, like, his headphones on. He's just, like, passed out in the seat next to him. as like this woman is passed out. He's like, you know what? I've had a rough couple of months. Let's just take it easy. I'm not really up for this right now. No, Mark Andrews not wired like that. Uh, no, mm -hmm. no. All right. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every episode of the Saturday Down South podcast, which is presented by Texas Pete. Follow us on the app, formerly known as Twitter, at the STS Pod, at Set Down South, at CJ Guerra, at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.